We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Blue Wire. Welcome back. It's the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier, joined as always by my co-host Nick Bellato. Tonight we're here to go over the All-22 offensive film of the Giants' Week 2 win over the Cardinals. Crazy comeback victory. Insane offensive performance in the second half, so it's a lot of fun to break down. There's a lot to talk about, and we want to hit a little bit of news before it. So we do promise, I know a lot of you discussed this last year, try to keep these shows a little bit tighter, don't go too long. We'll try to keep it as tight as we possibly can, but we also have a lot of plays we want to go over this week. It's not like last week where we were digging and scratching just to find anything to talk about <laughs> regarding the offense that wasn't negative. Tonight, there's a lot of positives to talk about, and we're going to get into all that. But before we do that, Nick, why don't you tell the, why don't we do two things? We talk about the Saquon Barkley news. That's where I want to start with this. Um, but also, let's talk about your experience. You went to the Cardinals-Giants game. It looks like you met met up with some, some fans there and some people, so that was pretty cool. Um, how was it being in that game and for that crazy comeback? It was pretty awesome seeing the game. Oh, I just exited out of a picture of myself and the one, the only Dan, Frank Bellinger. I'm going to put that up on YouTube. It was cool. I got to meet up with him for about five or six minutes. We just shot the shit. It was during halftime. I did miss the Jalen Hyatt play live. I was working my way back to the seats. Other than that, got to meet up with a bunch of cool people from Big Blue Scottsdale. It's a big group oh, out nice. here in Arizona. Desmond, shout out Desmond from Harlem. He was one of the guides of it who listens to our podcast and was like, yo, Nick, you got to meet all these people. You know, it was um, it was a lot of fun. I haven't been to a road giant game. I don't think in my life, and I've only been to probably a handful in my life, unfortunately. But it was a good experience. That's awesome. And shout out Desmond. Shout out Frank Bellinger. That's obviously Daniel Bellinger's father. Shout out to both you guys for you know supporting the podcast and for meeting up with Nick. Hopefully, I get a chance to meet up with you guys at some point down the line, depending on you know away game, home game. We'll make it happen at some point. But let's start with the big news for today, Nick. And the big news is. Early report on the Saquon Barkley injury is that despite it not being a high ankle sprain, which I guess can sometimes mean four to eight weeks, Nick, though Barkley did come back from uh, his high ankle sprain earlier in his career in four weeks, which tells me maybe he's a fast healer. Time will tell on that. This injury is supposed to keep him out for three weeks, three games uh, from what we hear. I do think there's a chance he gets back for that third game, Nick, just knowing who he is and his and obviously, you know, his ability. But three games, it's going to be Miami, it's going to be Seattle, it's going to be San Francisco. Uh, the San Fran game, I'm a little less concerned with. I didn't really go into I'm not going into that feeling like the Giants are going to have a good chance to win based on what they put on tape on defense this week and the last week. But those other two games to me are pretty winnable, in my mind at least. Seattle is not the team, you know, they're still a flawed team in, in some ways. And Miami's a good team, but Miami can, in my opinion, can be beat as well. 
So it's a tough loss. Uh, I was talking about with this a little bit with you before the pod, Nick. What scares me the most is, you know, you look at this team and how teams defend the Giants on film, and a lot of the resources are still allocated toward Barkley, or at least toward the idea that Barkley is a threat on any play. And in a lot of ways, you know, they view the Giants as a run-first team that's going to use the run to set up the play-action, boot, whatever it would be. And even in this breakout game for the Giants passing game, like it was in week two and we're about to go over, a lot of those big plays were generated when Daniel Jones was actually under center in a run for looking formation with a heavy personnel package and he ran play action, hit his back foot and ripped it. I am a little worried the Giants without Barkley on the field will go away from that a little faster and maybe teams won't respect the run game at all with players like Brita and Brightwell back there. Time will tell. I'm just a little concerned with that. I'll say that just go, just be based on how many big plays were generated from under center, Nick, big passing plays, I should say this week. So let me just get your thoughts on the injury, how it will impact the giants and, and what we expect to see moving forward right now with the running back room. I have no idea what we're going to expect. I can see yeah. Brita just his role as it is being expanded while also just being incorporated with some sort of hot hand approach with Gary Brightwell and Eric Gray, or I can also see, cause I really don't have a beat on this. Maybe them giving, Brita, the Saquon Barkley role. I tend to lean towards the former rather than the latter in terms of how the defense plays us. It's a little scary because if you watch some of the biggest plays in that game, Saquon Barkley was getting a lot of eyeballs, just two sets of eyes on him, like the Isaiah Hodgins touchdown. That was set up with Saquon Barkley. And we can go over that actually right now if we want to. I have that. I'm going to bring it up as I speak. But that play, a big reason why it was a success, Dan, was because of Saquon Barkley and the release that Mike Kafka or Brian Dable, who knows at this point, one of those two schemed up for him. And I'll bring it up real quick just because I do believe it is important. When we go through this play, you see Saquon Barkley in the stack off the ass of, uh, <clears throat> off the ass of Isaiah Hodgins to the boundary side. They motioned him to there. They did the same exact look a little bit earlier in the game, only it was to the bottom of the screen. So if anybody has the all 22 and wants to watch it, you can see it. And that ended up being the touchdown on the double seven China concept to Saquon Barkley, another play that we'll go over later that the Giants have been using since Brian Dable assumed head coaching responsibilities here in New York. But if we run this play, see that delayed release by Saquon Barkley? You see how he's yep. delayed? He skips off the line of scrimmage, and then he pops up, and he stops. He's doing that on purpose because the Cardinals are using a fiddle technique, which basically means two defenders are going to decide, are going to assume responsibility on you at the snap. But then whichever direction you go, that other defender takes you, right? So if you go outside, then the defender of the outside is going to take you. If you go inside, the defender of the inside is going to take you. And then the other defender who does not have that responsibility is going to assume another responsibility. Well, that delayed release held both of those defenders in place and allowed a throwing window to develop behind Isaiah Hodgins, who was against a cornerback in outside leverage. So Daniel Jones saw that, knew this play would happen, told Isaiah Hodgins, according to Hodgins after the game, hey, prepare for the football and hit him right in stride. Good throw by Daniel Jones. But this was set up because the defense was paying a lot of attention to Saquon Barkley and also doing the same thing on the other side of the field to Darren Waller with Kaiser White sinking underneath and then the safety taking over the top. That's something that they did earlier in the game. Daniel Jones and the Giants noticed it and they made them pay. I do not think defenses are going to be running the fiddle technique against Matt Breida in the red zone. They're going to probably just man up on him and then look to either use a spy on Daniel Jones, which is going to negate something serious that the Giants love to use, his legs, or just sink underneath other in-breaking routes because the Giants had a lot of success throwing those in this game. Yeah, it's a great breakdown by you, Nick, and it's cool to see that two of the players we expected to be playing within that role or at least to be impacting the game, like you just mentioned, Darren Waller 
and Saquon Barkley were impacting the game as we projected in the preseason, as in the sense of in the red zone, there's going to be extra defenders allocated to these players. You know, at some point in the, in the preseason or in the joint practice, we saw three defenders in Waller's direction on one of those red zone plays. It was a touchdown to, I believe, Darius Slayton uh, in the joint practices for, uh, earlier this year, but we see uh, versus the lions, but we all, we, we see that. And then we also see in this play Barkley getting that same kind of attention Two players from the giants. And that opens up that easy window for Jones to throw to Hodgins and a great job by you breaking down or, or, you know, noticing what Hodgins said after the game, that it was a really good pre-snap read by Daniel Jones and a good observation by him based on what he's seen on the film. I don't know how that's going to look without Barkley. I'll say this as far as how the running back room will shake up. I do not expect the Giants to add a Kareem Hunt or anyone like that. I know some people have been asking me, yeah. will they add Kareem Hunt, a Leonard Fournette? I'll say this about that. I trust Gary Brightwell in late game situations, and I trust my, Matt Breed as well. He had a really nice run at the end of that game after Barkley got hurt. Yeah. Six, seven yards there, and it set up a field goal where the field goal wasn't an easy gimme. Like If you watch that field goal, it could have missed uh, if it was six, seven yards back. He also didn't fumble the football either, Nick, so I would like to have a closer in those spots. I don't want Barkley getting the football. That's my personal preference on it. I just don't find it enough upside to having Barkley run into tight, you know, super heavy boxes when the whole goal is really just to run clock and you're not even going for the first down. But I feel like with the confidence that they built with Breida by having him, you know, execute that snap after the Barkley injury, they could maybe turn that. But as far as the starter status goes, I think they'll stay in house. Brita, Brightwell, maybe you see Eric Gray finally get some 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 action in the pre in the regular season outside of the punt return. I'm not sure yet on that because little nervous, Eric Gray. Yeah. right? And the same reason you're about to say you're nervous, the same reason I'm nervous, yeah. which is pass production. Can you trust him out there? And if not, are you tipping off your plays and what you're trying to do as an offense? If the case is yes, if the answer is yes, that second part, you can't put him on the field. To be completely honest, no coach would want someone on the field. It makes you one dimensional, but I don't really, do you expect them to go outside and, and maybe sign a free agent? Cause I'm not really thinking that's the direction they're going to go in. No, I don't think so. They might sign somebody and then add them to their practice squad, but I don't expect them to go and sign Lenny Fournette and then have him start in week one. And if they do, it says a lot about what they believe in Eric Gray, a young player they have maybe a little bit about, uh, uh, Brightwell too. And then Brita. So I, I think they're going to roll with that three headed, um, hopefully monster if we want to call it that. And one point of clarification, one point of clarification, just because I've seen people say that we use terminology that is a little unclear. The fiddle technique is just a bracket coverage. So when you hear bracket coverage, it's typically a bracket coverage against a running back who leaks out. And that's kind of what we saw there. Only the running back, it didn't leak out. So I just kind of wanted to say that because I've seen people in the comments complain about that. Yeah. And thank you for clarifying that. We'll do our best to, to go over football jargon. We know, Sometimes it can get out of hand. Also, at times, you know, it's flowing and naturally. And, and you know, sometimes you just can't keep, keep up with it or catch up with it on our end, at least. And we'll try to do a better job of that for sure. Nick, uh, before we actually get into some more key takeaways from the film, let's go over one final talking point from today that, that I feel like we should probably at least touch on. And that's the idea that Brian Dable potentially took over play calling duties in the second half. My take on this, Nick, is most likely that he's telling the truth and he did not. Uh, I just watched it over his reaction to it in the post game. And I'll tell you this, Nick, if Dable did take over play calling for Mike Kafka in the second half, I would say that he's probably, if he ever decided to get serious and committed, Dable, Brian Dable would be one of the better poker players, uh, probably the best poker player in the giants organization. Cause the way that he answered that question, the definitive, no, he didn't look down at all. He didn't look away. He didn't pause at all. Like it just, that if he was lying about that, Nick, it was an insanely good lie. Like most people <laughs> who lie will either look down 
look away or pause and try to figure it out. And as they pause, their eyes tend to go right. These are just little tells you can pick up on people playing poker or from playing poker all these years I picked up on. But he really didn't sound and look to me like he was lying. But if he was and he did call those plays, I can understand the other side of it, Nick. And you brought this up to me before the pod. Like if he did actually take over play calling duties, he would, of course, tell us that, no, he didn't. And he wouldn't just throw Mike Kapka under the bus like that. So where do you stand on the whole uh, did Brian Dable take over play calling in the second half debate? I love how you have this innate ability to read people. That's pretty cool. I'm going to be really you know careful around you now, Dan. And uh, <laughs> one Justin Pennick, Detective Pennick, if we want to call him that, had a tweet out from Talking Giants kind of detailing in a very in-depth manner his thoughts on the Mike Kafka, Brian. And he makes a compelling case, but honestly, there's really no way for me to say yes or no. It's compelling what Justin put out there. Brian Dable was reading the sheet. There has been other games where you don't see Brian Dable on his sheet and perusing through his sheet so intently. So possibly. I don't expect Brian Dable to say, yes, I took over play calling because my offensive coordinator sucks. But I will say this. There were plays that were well schemed up in the first half. The Giants purely just did not execute on. I'm thinking of the third and four mesh that we'll go over later. I'm thinking the... Jalen Hyatt against the cover two. Jalen Hyatt was wide open. That was a touchdown, and Daniel Jones evaded the pocket a little bit early on that play. There were some plays there for the Giants to capitalize on, and they just didn't execute. And that's go what, route. Yep, the Slayton go route. That was an underthrown pass by Daniel Jones. And Brian Dable said that after the game as well, Dan. He's like, we just didn't execute in the first half. He's right. They just didn't execute because it wasn't like they were getting punked by the Cardinals defense from an X's and O's or a scheme perspective. Yeah, you nailed it. And that leads me to believe that he probably didn't take over the play calling duties and it was just better execution by the actual players in the second half. But this is not something I know. It's not something you know. I think Justin did a good job trying to figure it out. I haven't watched his video yet. Um, the final video, I saw Justin tweeting about it. Shout out, Justin. Uh, I saw him tweeting about it and like saying, like, I'm getting close. I've been working on this all morning and it was like 5 p.m. <laughs> he really did put a lot of time into it. But I didn't see the final product. So I wonder if there did you watch the final video and was there a, like, a final decoration? by him was a declaration of like he is or he isn't calling plays what was what was the final bird he said there? gun to my head i would say that brian dable took over play calling okay. it's really well done well put together i applaud justin for the effort i thought it was um it was interesting good stuff justin all right nick let's get into some film takeaways some overall takeaways we wanted to start here at the top and i'm going to let you uh take over in a second here on this one but in nick and i's mind in, nick, in both of our minds after watching the tape the first thing that came to our mind was Boy, did having Jalen Hyatt on the field change the way the defense played the Giants from a schematic standpoint. You could see it on film. It was so obvious that after that play, Hyatt hit. And again, he could have hit a bigger one early in the game. He split a cover too. The ball just didn't come his way. But after he did hit that play to open up the third quarter, everything seemed to change as far as how the opposing defense was playing from a safety standpoint and the space standpoint. You even saw it a bit later in the game, and we'll throw up some of these plays in a bit, where Darren Waller had an easy easy go, easy go, win over the middle because the safety was rushing to play Jalen Hyatt, who was running like an inside post type route, inside vertical type route. And it just changed. And we talked about this a lot, Nick, but it's just good to see it actually come into play because this is more prediction and projection by us in the preseason, but to see Hyatt have that impact to me, man, it was very telling. And I'm very excited about the possibility of what his speed can mean for the Giants from a schematic standpoint, because we know what it can mean in the passing game, right? We saw him make two big catches in the game, but the impact he has in our minds, at least also like in a lot of ways is bigger when the ball's not even coming his way. And when he's just creating that space and that 
fear in the safeties in the secondary. Something the Giants haven't really created in a long time since basically Odell Beckham Jr. Dude, it was awesome in the second half. Watching the tape in the second half and seeing those safeties be like, yo, I I need to overlap and help out homeboy who's in outside leverage. Because I'll I'll bring up this play in a second, but I want to read these stats. Jalen Hyatt traveled 791 yards on 12 routes. 11 of those routes were vertical. He had one route to the flat to expand a defender in a double slant. Uh, three by one set. He was the number three receiver, meaning he was the innermost receiver. He just ran to the flat. Every other route that he ran, Dan, was a go, was a seam, was a post, was a go route angled outside, kind of like a corner type of route. They were all very vertical concepts. And I loved how the Giants, whoever was calling plays, Dable or Kafka, they were using Jalen Hyatt to stretch the safety and then open up the intermediate cross from the backside, which every time was Darren Waller because the Cardinals were circling Darren Waller and they were paying attention to him. And if you watch plays at the end of the first half, here's a play at the end of the first half. This is a third and 10 play by the New York Giants. They pick up 12 yards. This is right before the interception. And you're going to see the safety from the other side right here. This safety. I don't know if you could see my, uh, I don't know if you could see my arrow, Dan, at this moment, I can see it. But, but the safety at the top of the screen His eyes are on Darren Waller. And one reason for that is because Daniel Jones opened up. And what you're reading when you're reading a quarterback's eyes, you're reading the stripe of that helmet. The stripe of the helmet goes to Darren Waller. So that safety is just like, I don't really care about what's going on behind me. I'm going to drive downhill and nail Darren Waller. We saw this a little bit earlier in the game as well on the slant to Darren Waller. Remember, he went to go catch the ball. Ball was thrown a little bit behind him. And then the safety just ran through his kidney and he dropped the football. So that safety was driving downhill on any intermediate and inside breaking route. And the Giants realized this. And you could see on the play, watch Jalen Hyatt, he's creating separation. He's winning to the inside against this. And watch, he's stacked. By that point, ball is well out of the hands. The safety has already reacted downward. It's it's neither here nor there, but it's tipping off to the Giants, especially with what Arizona was doing beforehand, driving down on these inside breaking routes, that we can hit a big pass if Daniel Jones sells that we're throwing to Darren Waller in an intermediate cross. And that's exactly what happened to start the half. We'll go over that play in a little bit, but I want to get your takeaways because after the huge play to Jalen Hyatt, Dan, It was those safeties were just freaking sucking up on Jalen Hyatt, and it created so many one-on-one opportunities for Darius Slayton on the backside. There were plays where Darius Slayton was selling the deep over and then cutting back to the outside, and it was just him against one defender now to beat because both safeties were 20 yards downfield with Jalen Hyatt. That speed factor is something that we have not seen in New York for so long, and it can fundamentally change the way this offense is run. Losing Saquon sucks, but holy shit, realizing what we have in Jalen Hyatt, that is freaking excellent. Yeah, I mean, you can make the case that if Hyatt realizes his full potential in year one, that's maybe a tough task to ask. I mean, we're we're getting a little aggressive there maybe, but if he realizes it, it's going to more fundamentally change this offense, in my opinion, than Barkley or in a lot of ways, Darren Waller. And I do think Darren Waller is a mismatch who does change the way defenses play you. But it's not the same as having that kind of speed because that kind of speed, like you said, it takes over there were it takes away safeties out of plays. It opens up space in the middle of the field for you to then hit Darren Waller, which I felt like in the second half, Waller got going in a lot of ways because the defense was playing further off the ball and because they were respecting the deep passing game a little bit more. And we even saw, yeah, go ahead. Well, I was just gonna say, think about just through two games, and I brought up the one play where he dropped it. He's had what two or three plays where he's just taking huge shots from the safeties, driving downhill on him. Did yeah. also against Carolina. 
make those safeties respect the fact that you can beat them over the top with the deep post, especially when you're playing outside leverage on a cornerback like Jalen Hyatt. And that's what's going to happen if you're going up against one of these quarters type of teams, these cover four teams, and Jalen Hyatt is your outside receiver. They're going to be an outside leverage thinking they're going to have safety help to the inside. And that's one reason why we saw such a big play to open the half. To open the half and then after, just things were so different. Like a good example of this, I'm going to give credit to uh, on Twitter, Jake Barrow, I think is his first name. Do a Barrow Row. You guys should follow him on Twitter. He does good film analysis on the Giants. And he talked about the play that, that I put up earlier, which was the play you discussed in a, a bit earlier. Let me see if I can find it in because I have it somewhere in my notes. As I talk through, I'll try to find it. But it was the play we discussed where Hyatt split the cover too and the ball just didn't come his way in the first half. Daniel Jones didn't see it. But he, what he pointed out, I thought was an even better observation, which was look at how every single defensive back played that route. And you can watch that play and we'll put it up in a second. If I can, if I can come back and find it, but the way that every defensive play, uh, back played that route against, against Jalen, I'm sorry, that play is they sat, they were all sitting in like the curl zone and the way that they played it after that point, do you have the play, Nick? Sorry. Good for finding yeah, right it. Here. Yeah. Let's run this through. Look at every pause it and look at every single one of those defensive backs there besides the two in the deep half. I mean, we're talking, and we're, this is cover two, by the way. So the, the reason yes. that we're bringing this up is because Jalen Hyatt splits the cover two here. Ball should come his way. But look at the rest of these Cardinals defenders. They are all sitting by the sticks because that's all the Giants showed they had to do over these past however many games. And obviously, you know, ultimately in that first week against the Cowboys where they got dominated. After that, in the second half, when they open up with that Jalen Hyatt bomb, You'll see the way they played the Giants after that, but it was a noticeable difference. And I think that tells the biggest story uh, to me of what changed for this offense in the second half, why Daniel Jones was able to put up that historic comeback effort and that historic just performance overall for a half, things we discussed on yesterday's show as far as the numbers go. I think a lot of that had to do with the fact that these finally, finally, the Giants were getting some respect for their passing game and the, for, and the opposing defense finally paid them a little mind. Absolutely. And this is a third and 10 play. So those players are going to sit with Waller and pay attention to Waller. But you just see how the middle of the field is wide open in middle of the field, open coverage with both safeties kind of flowing over the top of a cover two flat coverage. And that's if you look at the top of the screen, you could see the cornerback also kind of sinking very, very subtly, just barely doing it. And he's hoping that Darren Waller or Jalen Hyatt was going to run out and right. Daniel Jones would throw the football right into that sitting defender as he did against the Dallas Cowboys on the Saquon Barkley interception. That's not what happened. You can see the whole shots there, but those safeties flowing so aggressively over the top led to the middle of the field being absolutely wide open like that. And if the Giants can catch San Francisco in a cover two type of defense, they're going to take this shot if they have the time to throw the football. Daniel Jones, in my opinion, bails out a little bit prematurely on this specific play. We were going to go over it a little bit later, but Josh Zudu does a really good job picking this up. See that? Yeah, he recovers. Twist. Jones has, Jones shouldn't be bailing from this pocket by any means. No, and if he didn't, if he sat there and just reset his feet, he would have had Hyatt for... I don't a huge touchdown because no one was catching Hyatt if Jones found the football to him. And there was really no one around him at that time. There was no one around Hyatt. Um, you can back this up. But yeah, you, you saw it there. There's no one around Hyatt. And jo if Jones, you know, splits the safeties there, it's a touchdown. The one uh, Jones to me had an unbelievable game in the second half. He was lights out and he did things oh, to yeah. put the team on the back. 
given the circumstances. If I had one critique of Jones in this game, it was just simply that there were still some times. And I think this was just a little bit of an after effect of the first game and then not having Andrew Thomas out there and just having a new guy neck, uh, protecting his blind side where he bailed. For, that was one of the examples where he bailed from pockets that I just didn't think he should have because, yes, there was a little bit of pressure, but on each time the edge did recover. And then everywhere else across the board, there was good protection. Like if you looked at that play, the one he just bailed on, Azudu kind of gave up a little bit of exterior pressure, but he resettled. But everywhere else across the board, Jones was fine. So he could have literally just slid a, a few millimeters up into the pocket and then created himself a new pocket by resetting the pocket. I mean, it's okay. Like, you're going to have this happen in games, especially when part of what Jones has been coached to do over the last two years is if you see something and you don't like it early, don't hang on the read, use your legs and run. And he's been able to make big plays, even this one, right? Like, it wasn't a touchdown to Hyatt. Like, it maybe could have been if it went perfect, but it still was a nine-yard gain here. And so... You got to take the good with the bad there. And you have to understand that like he is dealing with some really bad protection from the offensive line. This, sorry, it didn't end up being a run. This is the one he dumped back down to Barkley. But um, yeah. another one or later in the game, which we might go over, was another pocket. Mm -hmm. I felt like Jones bailed from a little too early and he turned it into a nine yard run. And it was fine. Could have been like a 15 yard shot to Slayton. But point being, you're looking for very few things in a game where overall he was amazing. So let's just get to that right now, Nick. Let's talk a little bit about Daniel Jones. Were you as impressed as I was by his performance in the second half and his ability to kind of, in my mind, go on what I thought was a little bit of like a heat check. I put it on Twitter, but when he threw that pass to Darius Slayton, that was almost caught. And I think, you know, Slayton just missed insane, spectacular catch, but he just missed getting that second foot in. It felt like a heat check moment for Jones, really. Like he, he felt, I felt like he was feeling it with his arm. He knew he was getting the ball out fast at that point. He knew he was getting it out strong. I thought he threw well all day from just a pure throwing standpoint. Yes, there were a couple under throws earlier in the game, but that's, you know, to be expected. You're not going to have a perfect game from that standpoint. But I felt like in the second half, he just was a more confident quarterback when it came to throwing downfield than I've seen him in a long time. And maybe that was part of the halftime thing. Like he went in there and they're like, trust it, see it, throw it. And then he just started doing that. It felt like, you know, he was trusting, he was seeing it, he was throwing it. It was, it was, it was fun to watch. Confident, precise with a lot of the ball placement away from the coverage only to where his wide receiver can catch it and also just decisive. Like he knew what he was yep. seeing and he was driving the football right where it needed to be on the Jalen Hyatt play, not the big one, but the other one. That football was right out in front. Beautiful catch by Jalen Hyatt to climb the ladder, present his hands and make that type of contested catch. Something that we questioned a little bit just because we didn't see it all that often at the college level. And then also a couple throws to Darius Slayton where he threw with anticipation right before Darius Slayton's right before Darius Slayton entered his break, he would be releasing the football. Slayton would turn. The ball was right on his chest. Slayton would just make that play. I felt like Slayton also had a lot of really impressive routes, a couple of nice releases off the line of scrimmage. He's one of those, if we, if we were to assign somebody who is unheralded, like we used to, and we should do it again, Darius Slayton would be my pick for this one. We didn't do it last week because there was nobody. <laughs> it was it was just yeah. really bad. We're probably going to have to wait another week to do it just because we, we haven't exactly uh, – figured this one out just yet, Nick, but I want to show, I want to show one of those examples. And first, before I get into that, Nick, I do want to say to your, to your greater point there, before we get into some more specifics on Slayton, I felt like this was one of the best games from an anticipation standpoint. Jones showed there were anticipatory throws to multiple anticipatory throws to Slayton, where he got the ball before it came out of his break. There were multiple anticipatory throws to Hodgins. He had one early in the game that I believe was to Hodgins. I'm trying to remember who this one was earlier in the game, but I believe it was to Hodgins where it was an out route and he threw it to the outside shoulder. It allowed for some yards after curl. the catch. Yeah. Curl. The Giants. He threw the, the Giants. Shoulder. 
they, the Giants ran a lot of curls early in the game. They know Jonathan Gannon's defense. They know he runs a lot of quarters, a lot of cover four, and you could just work into the blind spot and then flow to the outside. You had one catch to Darius Slayton in that manner. They tried to hit another one to Darius Slayton that ended up going incomplete. And then that Isaiah Hodgins one, that was a really strong throw by Daniel Jones because that cornerback was driving through the inside hip, and he hit right outside the numbers, right on the eight, and Hodgins took it and uh, ran up the field. I think he might have got a first down on that one, if I'm not mistaken. So this is the throw we're talking about. He threw the outside shoulder here off the curl. This is just really good drive right there because the corner is breaking on it, as you can obviously mm-hmm. see. And despite that, Jones rips that ball. And this was the this was in the first half, and he wasn't even playing as well as he did, uh, you know, throughout the rest of the game. But I would say in the second half, when we really started to see even more anticipatory throws from Jones, the the plays you mentioned, the Slayton that he threw before he got out of the break, the throw to Hodgins, I thought was a really good anticipatory throw. I know we talked about it earlier and it was good design as well. There are a lot of eyes on Waller and Barkley too, but it's still a really good drive throw there. And I just felt felt like he was driving the football really well in that second half. And even at times in the first half, it just felt like this was a this was a version of Daniel Jones that a lot of fans could definitely get behind and a lot of fans could be excited about. Um, and in a lot of ways, he is the reason the Giants were able to come back in this game. I would say, without a doubt, he was the biggest factor in the comeback win. I think that one's pretty obvious in this one, especially when you consider, you know, Andrew Thomas wasn't even on the field, so you can't even yeah. give him all the credit. And Barkley had some big plays for sure, and so did the receiver. And to the second point you made about some of the great releases that Darius Slayton had, I mean, this is something I discussed a lot with you and we discussed a lot in 2019 where I really felt like he had an incredibly diverse release package off the line of scrimmage for a rookie wide receiver. And then this play, I mean, you could just see it. I'm going to run this one right now for the people watching. Look at this release off the line of scrimmage here. And, And this is what happens when you try to play press man on him sometimes. He just beats you right off the bat there. Obviously, this was one of the throws that Daniel Jones wishes he could have back. I mean, there's no safety help. It's a it's a, it's a, a deep ball over the top where the receiver has multiple steps and the ball needs to be way, well out ahead of him. Instead, it kind of hung, and then he had to you know slow down and try to catch it. But the release off the line of scrimmage is what the focus is on here. Look at this release, man. This is filthy. Like, he just has that corner dead to rights on that release. So I wanted to bring that up because you mentioned that earlier, how Slayton had some really good releases in this game. Yeah, if you, I have that play in, in my big cluster of plays, but if you looked at the bottom of the screen, because this is in the first half, this is in the second quarter, but if you looked at the bottom of the screen, Jalen Hyatt is the backside X in the three-by-one set, and they ran cover six. Cover six means it's going to be cover four, it's match though, to one side of the field, and cover two to the other side of the field. Watch how the safety bailed from basically what a, appeared to be a robber role. That's what it looked like he was going to do all the way over top of Jalen Hyde. So they were respecting his speed, even though it was cover six at that time. And he ended up getting bracket coverage on the backside before he even had that huge play. But Darius Slayton, because I think it was that cover six, but probably had mod, which is man on deep is a tag. It's an assignment for a cornerback. Meg is man everywhere he goes. I'm imagining if Darius Slayton ran a drag route or something on that play, he probably would have passed it off to those underneath defensive backs that were also there. But Mod man on deep, and Darius Slayton won with the release. But that football just needs to be put over the shoulders, just not great placement. We'll go over that play maybe again, but I um I appreciated the respect that was shown to Jalen Hyatt at the bottom of the screen there. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's going on, Big Blue Banter listeners? I'm excited for the football season for several reasons. And one of those reasons is Prize Picks, which is North America's largest independently owned daily fantasy sports platform. And it's so simple to use. Instead of battling thousands of other players, including professionals, sharks, and people who are going to exploit you, you pick more than or less than on two to six player stat projections, and you just watch the winnings roll in. It's very simple to play and gives you a little extra skin. I've set my picks in less than 60 seconds. There are so many stats to choose from, and the withdrawals of funds are easy and quick. Dan and I will be adding a segment to our show before every game where we pick our favorite stats, more or less yards or touchdowns, what have you, and we'll be discussing why from a scheme, matchup, and game theory perspective. I love their promotions and how easy their interface is to operate at prize picks. I may select more on tackles for a loss from Bobby Okereke or Kayvon Thibodeau next game. They also do other sports as well. It's a really cool experience. Please join Dan and I in the fun of prize picks. Go to prizepicks.com slash banter and use code banter for a first deposit match up to $100. Again, go to prizepicks.com slash banter and use code banter for a first deposit match up to $100. You will not regret it. This is Dan Schneier, the Big Blue Banter Podcast. In case you didn't know, The show you're listening to right now is part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Blue Wire was founded in 2018 on the concept that independent podcasts will be more successful if they work together. And now Blue Wire currently has 300 shows with athletes, celebrities, passionate fans like myself. I found Blue Wire right around the time when I started the Big Blue Banter podcast. When I started Big Blue Banter in 2018, I had an idea for a show, a name for a show, and then I had to figure out how to monetize that show and grow that show. That's when I found Blue Wire. Kevin Jones put everything on the line for this company and then found us and this show a way to monetize the content with strategy sessions, provided us new segments, connect us with podcasters, and even gave us an opportunity to record in the Win Vegas studio. Blue Wire has now raised over $10 million privately to grow and operate the business, and they're raising another round right now on WeFunder to expand the sales team and improve the operations. WeFunder is a crowdfunding service that connects startups with investors. It gives everyone an opportunity to be a part of the growing startup. This is not a donation. You're investing to own a piece of BlueWire. If you would like to be a part of the BlueWire investment round or you want to find out more information, go to WeFunder.com slash BlueWire. And remember, supporting BlueWire is another way to support our show and this podcast. Nick, you ever been in the spot where you just felt like, 
I've got a few hours to go. I'm going to this game. I'm buying tickets. I don't have the tickets yet. You're stressing. The anxiety is at an all-time high. You're trying to figure out what the heck you can do to get to this game. That happened to me a few years ago when the Wisconsin Badgers made the Sweet 16 game in the Madison Square Garden. My dad, diehard Badgers fan, the reason I went to Wisconsin, the reason I am a Badgers fan, I needed to get him tickets for that game. It was his birthday. So I'm stressing. I don't know what to do. And then, boom, I figure it out. I use the Game Time app. The Game Time app is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all sports, music, comedy, and anything near you. They got killer deals, last-minute tickets. You click open the app, and you're shocked to see that you can actually go to these games, having a good time, and not actually have to pay so much money that it breaks your bank account. Stanley Cup Final Week 1 this past season. I used the Game Time app last second. It was actually past the time of puck drop. Went on the app. I was in Vegas. Saw the Vegas Golden Knights defeat the Florida Panthers. And I also used the Game Time app to buy my entire family when they came out here to Phoenix to visit me to see Tom Segura's special, which is actually the same special Netflix used for their videotapings. And I love it because you can find so much on the app. Like you get an actual image of the seat view. Not like you're buying a seat with an obstructed view. It's an actual image. You know what you're getting. Lowest prices that I've seen by far, and that's their guarantee. You get an event cancellation protection, job loss protection. They go all out here to make sure that this is a great experience for the user. Snag the tickets without the stress with Game Time. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use the code BANTER. That's B-A-N-T-E-R for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem the code BANTER. B-A-N-T-E-R for $20 off. Download Game Time today. Last-minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. Make Little Caesars, the official pizza sponsor of the NFL, part of your day. Look, when I'm hungry and I want to munch on something, whether the Giants are winning or losing, I always go with pizza. And Caesars is my go-to choice. Order online during our Pizza Pizza pregame, one hour before NFL games, and get ready for some football and fun. Choose your favorite Little Caesars pizza or pick the toppings you crave. It could be sausage, pepperoni, you can combine toppings, you can get creative with whatever type of pie you want from Little Caesars. Either way, you win. And speaking of winning, everyone scores with convenient delivery or our in-store pizza portal pickup. So grab some friends and enjoy a few slices during the tastiest hour before kickoff. Yeah, and that's the type of stuff you're going to see if the Giants can continue to work a bigger package for him in this game, Nick. So we discussed a little bit about that. I also want to, I mean, there's other stuff we can get to with Daniel Jones. Like, I thought he did a good job. This is something Greg Cassell talked about a lot. I'll throw this one up real quick, too, if I can find it. But I thought he did a good job off of play action when he was under center. Here's a good example of that. And something Greg Cassell said after his rookie season, Nick, was one thing he was super, and Greg Cassell, for those who don't know, he's the GOAT of film study. He's NFL Films film uh, guru. Greg Cassell, and one thing that he was so impressed with after Jones in his rookie season was his ability to um, basically operate a play-action passing game like a veteran in the sense of once he you know faked the, faked the run action, he's able to kind of really smoothly and really precisely use his feet and use his head to flip his head around, snap his head around, and get the football out fast. And sometimes you need that. You don't have a lot of time. Here's a good example of that, I thought, where Jones kind of operates the play action, snaps his head around. You can watch it immediately as he snaps his head around here. Just watch how fast he is to get his head around. Boom. He's ready to see it. Then he's ready to fire the football out there, basically before Slayton gets out of his break for one of the big gains in this game. And I thought he operated the play action game really well in this game for sure. Yeah, I'm just going to go over the plays that I have because we're going through them all right now. <laughs> yep. Okay. So, sorry. I didn't know we, yeah. we didn't have, we didn't have, we didn't have a good, a good, uh, preamble of this. We both, no, there's still a lot more, I, a lot more to chew 
with yes. a lot of those plays. Like that one that you just went over was a motion Darius Slayton to stack behind Jalen Hyatt. Jalen Hyatt was a big reason why Slayton ended up coming open. Just great job by Daniel Jones to recognize what exactly was going on. So the first play that I wanted to go over, we already went over, but it's that quarter two, 655 now. This is the play we were just referencing. Look at the bottom of the screen. Watch that safety. He's like, looks like he's coming down. Am I going to fill the run? What am I doing? Watch how he flies over the top, takes that deep half responsibility. You're going to have quarters on the other side, but mod on Darius Slayton. Darius Slayton just wins, as we said. And this ball, as previously stated, needs to just be put out in front because that's about two yards of separation. Slayton, you can see how he obviously slows down there. And the rookie six-round pick that they have starting, Clark, ends up getting a PBU here, but it's not really well earned because he wasn't really even in Stanford, Nick? Was that the kid? From uh, no, Clark? he's from he's from Louisville. Okay. If I'm not mistaken, okay. I was going to say okay. I didn't think that kid fell all the way to the six. That would have been crazy. But yeah, that's <laughs> another good example by you of the kind of attention the defenses are paying for Jalen Hyatt to Jalen Hyatt, I should say, because we wouldn't have gotten that if the other side of the field is you know Richie James or even Isaiah Hodgins. No, we wouldn't. And if you also look on Jalen Hyatt's side. Like, this is also just a cover six, and Jalen Hyatt happened to be that backside X. The safety knows right. Jalen Hyatt's speed, even though it was before that big play. So he works over the top, but you have this deep crossing route sit, and then the safety drove down on it. But you have a one-on-one -on -one out there. You're not in outside leverage, so you're protected. If you can get back in the phase, that's a Darius Slayton play. But if we go to the next play that we have here, this is the first play of the half, the gigantic pass to Jalen Hyatt. And watch how that safety bites down on the deep over both of these safeties are paying attention to Darren Waller. You have 22 who turned directly to Darren Waller. His job, just judging, and I'm not, I don't know the exact rules, Dan, but judging by how this safety reacts right after the snap, he flashes his eyes to see what crossing route is coming. It looks like he's going to match whoever crosses, and it is Darren Waller. And then the safety at the top of the screen, you could see him also take Darren Waller and look at Marco Wilson. He's an outside leverage against Jalen Hyatt. There's no way that Marco Wilson is going to be able to keep up and get to the inside of Jalen Hyatt. That safety number 36 needs to overlap over the top of 22 to protect Marco Wilson to the inside. And that did not happen. That's one of the reasons why the Giants were able to find gold to open the half. And I just love how Daniel Jones influences this a little bit. We give Hyatt a lot of credit. We give the scheme a lot of credit and they deserve a lot of credit. But watch Daniel Jones, the stripe of the helmet. Remember I said that a lot of defenders read the stripe of the helmet. He's going to get the football. He's going to go into the mesh point, and where is he looking? He's looking right at 36. He's looking right at 12. Darren Waller flashes his head and just throws the football over top. That's a good play yep. by Daniel. He sells it. He sells the fact that he's going to throw that over. He knows that that safety, number 36, has been driving down aggressively on Darren Waller all game, and they bait him. There's It's not a coincidence, Dan, that they ran this play to start the half, the off-play action to try to get a shot play, to manipulate 36, to manipulate Gannon, who likes to run a lot of these cover four quarters type of concepts. So this is a really well-executed, well-designed play by the Giants, Daniel Jones, Jalen Hyatt, speed wins. And back it up a little bit to that, that end zone angle, because I thought, and I put this up on Twitter as well, I talked about this a little bit there. I thought it was a pretty good job in pass protection as well by the Giants offensive line here. Josh Azuda specifically left on an island here more than handles in a handles in own anchor anchors down. Obviously uh, outside Evan Neal has the help of a chip and still seems to get beat despite having that and just wildly off balance despite having that. Uh, so we'll don't focus too much on Neal. <laughs> yeah, we'll talk a lot about that later. I mean, this is a very positive outlook and a positive film review, but unfortunately both Nick and I were not thrilled with Evan Neal's film in this game. And, 
I'll be honest with you, Nick, and we can talk a little bit more about later, but I said not to go crazy on overreactions, but I don't know. I'm starting to get really nervous with Evan Neal. Really, really nervous. He just doesn't look good out there. It's hard to explain. It's hard to, you know, it's hard to explain because it doesn't make sense and add up based on what we saw at Alabama, but he just doesn't look good out there. And I don't know if it's an injury that he's unreported or something like that, or this is just kind of where he's at right now in his development. But, you know, I saw some of the stats on the game, Nick, from the Giants offensive line. And it seemed like they were they were good across the board. I don't know how you could really watch the film and say it was a really good game from Neil unless you were discussing what he did in the run game. It felt like in the passing game, he they needed how often do you see them help Evan Neal in the second half, by the way, with a Bellinger a with a tight end? A lot. Yeah. Right. And so that was the Giants shifting their scheme to make up for the fact that they didn't trust Evan Neal on an island. Um, so you know, I wouldn't be giving him positive marks on those plays where he got help, but Obviously, maybe the, the grading systems did, but we'll talk more about the offensive line later in the show. Here's the next drive after the Giants' first touchdown. I love how the Giants incorporate Paris Campbell on these little concepts. It doesn't seem that difficult, but they've been using him a lot initially in a running back position, and they orbit motion him around Daniel Jones, who is in shotgun. What does that do to this apex defender who's right behind Dennis Gardeck, who did end up getting got a sack? We said Dennis Gardeck gets a sack. We're going to go freaking crazy in this game. But that was kind of a, that's something we'll go over in a little bit. Actually, I have an earlier play I want to tackle, but watch how he just expands this defender, just expands to open up the throwing window. Just simple football, simple scheme right there. Simple scheme. Just expand Paris Campbell. This player is going to shift over. Now, this safety is also going to remove from the middle of the field. And now you go into the mesh point. Luckily, that linebacker, Kaiser White, played the run because the Giants sold it well by pulling the backside guard, Ben Bredesen. You can see Kaiser White just remove himself from the area as well. And then Daniel Jones sees that. He's told, hey, read that defender. If that defender bites down, fire the football in. And I don't think this is a RPO. I think that's just a sell because it looks like everybody's pass blocking. There is no actual like run blocking other than the pull. So this is a good sell by the New York Giants to get the football to Darren Waller for a nice gain on first and 10. And look at how those two Cardinals defenders have to play this play because Jalen Hyatt is on the field at the bottom of the screen. You see the safety rush to get over the top of Jalen Hyatt. You see the second-level defender ultimately comes in to make the tackle on Darren Waller, have to play at a decent depth there because Hyatt's running through that vacated space. These are all things that might not have happened if Jalen Hyatt you know, hadn't made that impact play he made earlier this half and then kind of ultimately changed the way the Cardinals wanted to defend the Giants. Exactly. And uh, also now we saw how the cross opened up the deep post. Now that deep post is opening up the cross, it's just football working hand in hand. This is the play that you just broke down. And I wanted to bring up is the motion to the stack. Watch the attention. This is in the third quarter. I, I must have screwed up the time at the bottom, but it's about eight minutes to go. First and 10, 29 yard catch to Darius Slayton. This is a very decisive throw by Daniel Jones, but watch both of the defenders down at the bottom of the screen. Darius Slayton motions to stack, just fires off and watch how they both react to Jalen Hyatt. Number 20, Marco Wilson has his hips turned. He reacts to Jalen Hyatt as well. And then Darius Slayton sits right when Marco Wilson goes to turn and get on top of his own route. So Darius Slayton just sits and he has all the space in the world. Great job by Darius Slayton to recollect his balance and pick up some yards after the catch. I think he got like 14 or 16 yards after the catch on this play. And those are very valuable yards at this, but you're right. Under center play action from bigger personnel. Giants used a lot of 12 personnel with Hyatt and Darius Slayton in the second half. I, I want to go back and see how many 
times Hyatt was out there on 12 personnel, but it did seem like they were using these kind of concepts, double Y up the top of the screen, act as if they're going to run, sell the play action. That's something that we've been talking about since the Giants added Darren Waller. 12 personnel is going to be an explosive fun package. Yeah, and something you see on that play, if you back it up just a little bit, we'll go over this next one in a second. Um, something you see on that play that really you see common, in my opinion, with a lot of the good passing teams in the NFL is that ability to get the ball out of the quarterback's hand before the receiver's open, before he gets out of his break with anticipation and decisiveness, as you described it with Daniel Jones. And I think in a lot of these examples, it really ultimately doesn't matter too much how the offensive line performed. We've discussed this a lot, Nick. There is some kind of common conception among some Giants fans that there's no way to generate a passing game without an offensive line. But if you look at some of the best passing games in the NFL, a lot of it is anticipatory throwing, the ball getting out of the quarterback's hand. Like, I think no matter what happens here, Daniel Jones completes this pass. He was decisive. He knew it was gonna. It was coming out to Darius Slayton there. He hit his back foot. He flipped his helmet around, flipped his head around, and drove the football. But if he had some pressure, I still think he could have kind of hit his back foot, threw the football. Maybe he takes a hit instead. But I still think the ball gets out there to Slayton. I just think in this game, more so than any of the others in the second half, I saw a lot of examples of the ball getting out of Jones's hand before the receiver was open, which is the key key component to generating a consistent passing game at the NFL level. And so it's just a really good, that was the number one thing that got me excited about this game. Cause yes, the offensive line held up in a lot of spots, Nick, but ultimately the biggest difference to me was the quarterback was really aggressive and decisive in the second half. And the ball was just getting out of his hand fast. Also got to look at this route by Jalen Hyatt. Hey, I'm going to go inside. I'm going to go inside, watch 22 flatten his path, work right back to the outside, get him to flip oh. his hips. And now he has leverage. Yes. And it also, he's running away from the safety. It's middle of the field closed. If he were to go inside, he's going to run right into the safety. The cornerback can pass him off. And now you have a two-on-one on Darius Slayton if the Cardinals are executing some sort of match principle right there. I don't know how much you want to pass off Jalen Hyatt after he's uh, beat you, but that could realistically happen. Instead, Jalen Hyatt sells inside very well. I mean, this whole, he's not a good route runner is just bullshit. This kid can run some routes. And I know they're a lot of vertical concepts right now. We haven't seen him run pivots or, or anything like that in game, but I'm sure he has the body control to execute that. We just haven't necessarily seen it yet because this is his best way to be utilized. And he only played like 14 snaps or something. And flip this back for a second, just to the catch point real quick. You discussed, like we discussed earlier about what kind of impact Jalen Hyatt can make. Just pause at the catch point or a little bit above if you can. Hyatt running that route clears out that corner and has the safety coming with him over the top. If Darius Lane doesn't slip coming out of this break, I don't know. This play could have been even bigger. He could have potentially even housed this or gotten another 20 yards. But regardless, he creates another what? Let's see, about 15 yards after the catch that, you know, is in a lot of ways created by Jalen Hyatt running this deep corner route that takes the safety out of the play and takes the corner out of the picture as well, just with his speed alone and his elusiveness. I also love this play too, because we have the double Y set at the top of the screen. Darren Waller ends up like blocking. Oh yeah, we're going to, we're going to run. No, we're not. And then he runs over the middle field. Watch Kaiser White just be like, yeah. oh no, Darren Waller's coming. I got to pay attention to 12. And then look who's just wide open in the flat. Say Marco Wilson was a little bit better with his coverage on Darius Slayton. You're hitting Saquon Barkley and there's not a defender anywhere near him to tackle him. And you get Saquon Barkley in space. This is another, this is a play that the Giants are going to go back to. It's just 12 personnel, yeah. double wide mo motion, Darius Slayton to the stack. This is your speed package from 12 personnel, having Darius Slayton and Jalen Hyatt on the freaking football field with Darren Waller, Saquon Barkley. Unfortunately, he won't be there for the next few games and Daniel Bellinger. And this is a great package to have. Obviously, you mentioned we won't have Barkley for a few games. Who knows if they'll be able to sell this as well. And maybe the teams will, will, won't be guessing run. But 
that's the they tried to do this at times last year with Marcus Johnson and getting that kind of personnel on the field, these two man type routes. But I ultimately feel like it gives them a really big, big advantage having that exact personnel group on the field when they want to. Um, and here you have it here. You're throwing up a play. I, I definitely am happy you, you put out here. This was one of the key plays of the game, Nick. This is one of the turning points of the game, in my opinion. It's third and 12. The Giants finally got backed up for the first time, basically the whole half. And Jones decides to take the ball under and run it. And he should be dead to rights here, my man. Like, he should never be able to create a first down off of this. He has no angle. But I love how he kind of decelerates getting to the contact point to kind of sell it and then just explodes and makes a move basically to the outside, like a running back almost cutting outside him. You know, we always say like, don't bounce runs outside, right? That's what the defense is trying to contain. He was able to bounce this outside and restart himself. <laughs> you know, that stop and start ability is pretty impressive for a quarterback of his size. So this was one of my favorite plays of the game. It kind of just shows the kind of athlete that Jones is. I don't think too many quarterbacks are going to be able to stop and start like that and then win the edge. It wasn't even against man coverage, too. You're going up against cover right. two. Just guy in the flat. The guy in the flat sank deep to eliminate the corner route from Isaiah Hodgins. So that's going to put that middle hook defender who's going to step up on day and watch. Yeah, you're right. Just a little bit of deceleration. Oh, yeah, my name's Daniel Jones. I'm unassuming. Oh, never mind. Bye. And he just blows right past him outside the numbers. This is something we saw him do against Jackson the first time. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, man. He's he's quick. No, we saw him do this against a bunch of teams last year. We saw him do it against Jacksonville, I remember, too, where he embarrassed a defender when he was running to the outside. Picking up a third and 12 in that situation, the Giants end up scoring a touchdown on that drive. It's just a huge play. So the Giants probably would have kicked a field goal. Who knows what was going to happen after that? I think despite the fact that he's run for like set, he ran for like 700 plus yards last year. In some ways, defenders still don't really, they underestimate what he's able to do once he's out in space like that. I think that's one of the biggest issues. Like that, that defender feel, felt like he had Jones dead to the right. And I'm sure he felt like once he was decelerating, he's like, that's it. There's no way he can restart, stop and start and get back to that speed. He needs to win the edge. And Jones just put on tape that he can do that. And that's against what, like a linebacker, an undersized type speedy type second level linebacker. They're dropping There's into a coverage like. Yeah. yeah, like that's not a bad guy to beat out there. It's not like he's beating a defensive lineman to the edge. So really interesting stuff. And this next play you're going over from Jones. Let's get to this one. Yeah, you have Darius Slayton faking the deep over. Watch Jalen Hyatt at the top of the screen. He's going to motion from outside the numbers to the number two. And I love how the Giants are getting these speed motions, giving free releases to their wide receivers. And he is just going to take both safeties deep. Both safeties just vacate. Watch them both just leave the screen. This has to be the best play. This is not the best play what we were talking about, Nick. Uh, it's one of them. I think there's another one that I might have in here too. Uh, but watch Darius Slayton. Darius Slayton's <laughs> going to run that over. And he's going to get Marco Wilson to bite. And again, look at the angle of Marco Wilson. He's trying to get to that hip. He's scrambling. Yeah. He's all off balance. Darius Slayton, totally controlled. Watch how smooth that footwork is. Boop, 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 boop. Just right out of his break. And he look how much space he has at this point. That's a really nice speed turn, by the way, by Marco Wilson to get himself at least somewhat yeah. back into position to make a play. The ball is a little bit late by Daniel Jones, but he had to evade a, someone trying to sack him at the time. But holy crap, this is the Jalen Hyatt effect, ladies and gentlemen. Jalen Hyatt is just taking the two safeties deep and just opening up space for all of these other receivers. This might be the best example of the Jalen Hyatt effect. Actually, the more I look at it, the more I think about it. I mean, you just watch those two safeties, those two defenders just carrying his vertical route and opening up so much space in the middle field. If what you said didn't happen and Marco Wilson didn't have that kind of speed turn, the ball might've been out a little bit earlier. And obviously it's not Jones's fault or just the ball placement, even on the move was a little ahead of Slayton. 
that could have actually been a, like a touchdown or a big play if Wilson doesn't have that kind of speed turn because we've seen Slayton turn it up on the sideline there before. So this is definitely just an awesome play to see. And obviously, as you said, the, the Jalen Hyatt effect in full effect. We're going to see another Jalen Hyatt effect here. Watch number 22, this safety from the backside. He's inching towards the line of scrimmage, and he's like, peace, and he sees Jalen Hyatt. Yeah. And both of them just carry Jalen Hyatt downfield, and that sets up Darius Slayton, tight man-to-man -man coverage against Marco Wilson. Beautiful route and great throw to the inside, away from the other inside defender, though, and also away from Marco Wilson. I want to go over that route real quick because that's just so determined and precise from Darius Slayton. He has a win at the line of scrimmage. The release gets inside, uses his hands, dips his inside shoulder, is able to win inside. You can see how Marco Wilson is now on his outside hip a little bit, and then watch him decelerate, sink his hips, and then flow right back to the football. It's a very nice play by Darius Slayton, a good throw by Daniel Jones, and one of the reasons why there was so much space and 22 was not there, as you can see he's there pre-snap, is because Jalen Hyatt as the number two on the backside just running a deep freaking inside breaking route and by inside breaking it's more of just a very very subtle angle so basically just a seam and create space bro this is i love seeing this bro this is what we want to see from the new york giants and jalen high is providing it right now before pack that up real quick to the start of the snap before we even before this before the jalen hyatt play from earlier this half that number 22 that you're seeing drop and bail like that just never bailed. Like we watched a lot of Giants tape last year, Nick, you know it. The Eagles game, the Cowboys game from earlier this year, the Washington games, they just had those types of guys in that 20 yard box. Like those guys were not moving outside of 20 yards from the line of scrimmage. And so the throw to Slayton here, just there would have never been a window for it because 22 would be sitting there and Jones would have had to go somewhere else with the football or, you know, panic and not panic, but just break the pocket and run and try to get as best as he can. Despite the fact there really wasn't any running lanes on this play either so like that's a dead play most of the time before having Jalen Hyde on the field but with Jalen Hyde on the field and and you know after he makes that play in the first in the in the first uh play of the third quarter Nick what do what are the what are they hearing on the sideline these defenders and what you know from their coaches they're hearing don't let him beat you again don't let Jalen Hyde be the reason we lose this game because this guy just gave them the spark he was 58 yards on one play that's a reason they're back in this game. So this safety has to respect it at that point. And there just isn't a throwing window otherwise. But I also like wanted to point out, I really like how Daniel Jones is so decisive with this ball, gets this ball out really before the break. It's close, but cl close to before the break and then throws it to a spot away from the coverage, drives that football away from the coverage. And that's just the type of stuff you love to see from the quarterback. Yeah, the ball's out of Daniel Jones's hand and Darius Slayton's butt is next to the ground because he gets so low in and out of his break, but his chest is still upfield. I'm wondering what the safety on the backside is doing. He comes down acting as if he's going to operate in a robber role. Maybe if Jalen Hyatt was running a route similar to Darius Slayton, he was going to undercut that, but he never flows underneath the Darius Slayton. He kind of just backs up even though 22 yeah. had that overlap. So I'm wondering if that was a miscommunication between these safeties because let's not forget Bo Buda Baker who's just put on IR, did not play in this game. And sure. I think that really had an effect on the on the Cardinal secondary. I don't know if we win this game if Buda Baker in that game, to be honest, but time will tell on that. But the communication, I thought, was a problem for them at multiple times in the second half. There was a play I have down. We might go to get to it later if we have time, just where before the snap, you could see the, the secondary motioning to each other. They were really, I think it was the Darren Waller deep over route later in the game that they got a big one off of. But, but it just felt like the Cardinals in the second half just weren't, they didn't have that same level of confidence in the back end on the secondary. And a lot of that, in my opinion, was because the Giants hit him right in the mouth with that Hyatt bomb to start the half. I just want to go over a couple plays. This is the third and four that the Giants ended up punting. 
this is kind of just unlucky. Darren Waller is open. The Giants call a mesh concept, but Darren Waller ends up picking this player and Sterling Shepard runs into someone's coverage. It's not Sterling Shepard's fault. It's just the way the coverage was constructed. But if Darren Waller, it looks like, I don't know if he, it looks deliberate. Like he's trying to hit this cornerback who's on Sterling Shepard. And we've seen the Giants get called with OPI for that before. But if Darren Waller just worked over the top of this, I don't know if he's the mush, meaning he's going to go under. And then he realized, oh shit, I can't get under this. If he just worked over the top, he was coming open. And that's where Daniel Jones's eyes are. But Daniel Jones right. can't throw the football there because Darren Waller ends up getting picked. But that's a well-schemed up play. Because watch number 20, Marco Wilson, who was tasked to guard Darren Waller on this play. He's way up here at the top of the screen. He's not going to be able to get all the way down there. The Giants caught them in man coverage in the exact situation they wanted. It's just something unfortunate happened and it led to a punt. It's just one of those plays that um, we were alluding to earlier in the podcast when we were talking about they had some good calls against the Cardinals defense. It's just something happened and they didn't execute. And Darren Waller running into that player. I'm imagining he was trying to work over the top or work underneath. I'm not really 100% certain, but that was one play that they kind of left out there on the football field. Yeah, it was a good example, like you said, of the Giants having a solution, the Giants coaching having a solution for the play, right? They get mesh against man coverage. That's like an auto win for the offense, unless something like that happens where for some reason the receivers run at the same the route at the same depth and they run into each other or they you know create that natural pick that throws the timing off and Jones has to kind of try to escape the pocket, get what he can. And so great call by the offense coordinator or whoever's calling the plays. We don't know. Obviously, it's undetermined <laughs> right now. That was first half, though. I think at least in the first half, people expect that it was Kafka. But great call by Kafka. And that's just one of those examples of what Nick said. Like, in the first half, the execution was the issue. It wasn't necessarily the play design or the play calling. And here's another play that I really love. And the Giants always use this. Only This is the only route that Jalen Hyatt didn't run vertically. He motions to the number three on the three-by-one set with the one receiver outside the numbers. Usually, the Giants keep that guy condensed or tight. And Jalen Hyatt just runs to the flat, which is going to flow number seven a little bit to the outside. And then you can see how that safety drove down. Remember, this is a second quarter play, so it's before the big play. You see how aggressive that safety is just driving downhill and wants to nail Darren Waller. But that zone read, that little RPO action, if you want to call it that, with Saquon Barkley, it brought Kaiser, or no, not Kaiser White, this other player, that might be Barnes right there, 51, all the way up in that throwing window just opens for Darren Waller. So the Giants did have answers to this defense. Ball is put a little bit behind Darren Waller, but Darren Waller takes a huge shot. It's a really difficult catch to make. So uh, it's not like the Giants. And then also we we went over a little bit earlier, this the cover two play, where uh, if Jones stayed in the pocket, it could have been like a huge touchdown to, to Jalen Hyatt. You can see it again. So there were plays there. Execution was off. Yeah, the execution was off at times. But in the second half, obviously, that was not the case. Let's see if there's any other plays I want to run through here, Nick. I'm going to I'm going to take a look and see what I can find here. Uh, in the meantime, maybe you can go over just uh, some other concepts. It looks like, honestly, yeah, as I, I'm running through, this, Nick, I do see that we, we've hit a lot of them already from you. But go ahead. Yeah, Dan, we saw the return of the double China seven route from different formations. The double China seven route, something the Giants ran back when Brian Dable first got here against the New England Patriots and ended up being a touchdown to Saquon Barkley. This is the second time they ran it. I ran through the first time. It's just two in routes from the number one and the number two receiver with the number three running a seven, a corner. On this play, the Saquon Barkley touchdown doesn't really have any space to run a corner, so Darius Slayton just kind of runs into the player. But it isolates, the way the Giants have used this in the past, is it isolates Saquon Barkley. It's 
the choice route for Saquon Barkley, in my opinion. I never had that confirmed, but just judging by the plays, and I'll go through some of the past plays, it seems like a choice route. And this is just a beautiful play by Saquon. Watch him fake to the inside and get that linebacker to step back. That linebacker steps back, provides an open alley to the outside for Saquon Barkley, and it ends up being a touchdown, New York Giants. If we go back a little bit, though, Dan, see if this looks a little bit familiar for us. First, we'll have to watch the end zone version. Let's go through that so people enjoy it. Beautiful athletic play from Saquon Barkley. But if we go back, New England Patriots preseason, remember this play? <laughs> the Saquon Barkley. It's the same exact play. Yep. Kenny Holiday is the number one, runs an in. Number two, runs an in, seven route. And then the backside receiver just kind of runs an in-breaking route to get defenders away. And then they run this again, only now Saquon Barkley is breaking inside because the leverage of the defender is outside and high. So you're not going to break outside. That's why I think this is a choice route that we talk so much about when Brian Dable came over, but Daniel Jones liked the leverage for Kenny Galladay. Kenny Galladay ends up not catching this football. And then we didn't really see it much after this. This is the interception. And I could be wrong here. You know, I'll, I'll leave that open, but I think it's this, well, it is the same exact concept, right? Watch. You can see the two ends. You can see the seven. You can see the tight end just yeah. running inside to pick the safety. And then it's Saquon Barkley isolated against one other defender in man coverage, which is confirmed before the snap because the Giants motion Saquon Barkley outside. Just Barkley attempts to run a wheel route. Amani Hooker plays it phenomenally and ends up intercepting the pass. Remember this? But this is a concept yeah. that Brian Dable came over, and it was one of the first red zone packaged concepts that he used when he assumed the duties as the head coach or Mike Kafka as the offensive coordinator. So I found it interesting that we saw it twice in desperation with the Giants down big against Arizona. Yeah, that was a great job by you pointing that out, Nick. And I think it was cool digging by you to find all those plays from the past. And I wonder if they took it out just because of that, you know, interception that the play that went wrong where Barkley did decide to go vertical. There was nothing really there. The throw was late. And you remember uh, from that game, Brian Dable really, really, you know, reaming into Daniel Jones on the sideline. We don't see that often. And no, that was good to see. I felt like every Giants fan was for that. Uh, go ahead. And another and another thing that kind of dawned on me a little bit, that's more of a drop back. I'm going to go through progressions and read. It seems like it's predefined, like we're going to give Saquon Barkley the choice if he gets isolated and you're going to throw it there. We haven't seen, other than those in routes, Jones throw the seven on this concept yet. We haven't seen him throw to the backside receiver yet on the same exact specific concept. But he trusted him here. Think about the red zone package for the New York Giants last year. And I'm not slighting Jones at all. A lot of those were really well-schemed up plays to get like Daniel Bellinger or to get somebody open off of um, off the defensive rules or using motion like against Carolina where Richie James motioned to clear the one defender out and then Daniel Bellinger leaked out into the flat. A lot of plays like that or a lot of play action. In this game, Jones was cooking. And Brian Dable went back to this play, which is more of, I'm going to drop back. I'm going to trust you now in this situation to effectively read Saquon Barkley's leverage against that and then throw to the choice route, if that is a choice route, which I think it is a choice route. So I don't know. It's something else that I wanted to point out because Jones was cooking in this game and and uh, Dable was not shy to call, go back to the double China. Yeah, Nick, I got to say, I just love that digging by you, man. Like just to find those plays from the preseason. And I always like, any of the red zone plays that give the running backs choice routes. Cause I just feel like running backs are the most underutilized player in the red zone. And honestly on that route in the touchdown for Barkley, that was a really good route by Barkley. And that's not something we always say or see from Barkley. And that was a really well done. And I feel like some of his best routes over his career, the chargers game comes to mind uh, have been actually in the red zone. So I, maybe that's some reason why they should 
lean back on it once he gets back on the field. And now they may have more confidence in doing so because the last time they ran it, it was interception. Now it was a touchdown. Obviously this time they ran it. I want to just throw up a couple more plays. And then we're going to get into an evaluation of the offensive line to close this podcast out. I know we said we keep this one tight, but there was a lot to talk about. It was a comeback victory. The giants had an unbelievable game on offense. So we went in a lot of directions here, but this is the play I referenced earlier. I felt like Daniel Jones was kind of in a heat check here. I just love, look at, like Nick says, I don't have the end zone angle queued up, but you can see it even here. I don't know if you might, my, my, or my, is my mouse coming yeah. through here, Nick? Okay. You, got it, yeah. you can see it here. Follow the stripe of his helmet. Look at where he, look at where his helmet goes right after the snap here on this one. Boom. He's looking to the left snaps back, right. And decisively knows that he's going to go with the football over here to Darius Slayton, because at that point he's confirmed the coverage with the safety fires, this thing out there. Pretty damn good ball. A little bit outside, of course. It could have been a little bit of a better ball. He's not perfect. Nobody's perfect. That's from the far hash, too, I think, right? Right. Exactly. That's the point I was just about to make. I'm glad you got I'm sorry, man. I'm sorry. (laughs) No, no. It's okay. It's okay. The point being, while it's not a perfect ball, he's throwing it from the far hash. That's what I wanted to get back to over here. Look at where he releases this football from. 47-yard line, basically, from the far hash line. This is what Nick means by far hash. Mike. Uh, clicker is still coming through. Look at that hash and then look at to where the ball ends up all the way by the pylon. That is a really difficult throw to make 50 yards on a line like he did. Again, a little bit outside, by the way. What a freaking catch by Darius Slayton over the shoulder, full Crazy. extension, inches away, comes down with the football. An unbelievable play from Darius Slayton here, in my opinion. And, you know, someone once said, oh, someone on my Twitter was like, I can't believe this was their takeaway. And he's a nice guy, so I'm not trying to drag him. And I won't say his name, but he's like, you know, this is the difference between why Darius Slayton is not not that top level receiver. If we had a T Higgins, he'd make this catch. Eh, I don't know if T Higgins is making this catch, dude. Look at how hard this is. Like, this is a full extension for a wide receiver. He comes down with the football here. Like, I'm giving credit to Darius Slayton. I don't think any wide receivers, besides like Jamar Chase and a few others, are coming down with that ball. And even so, like, I'm giving the credit to the wide receiver there. And Dan, if we roll it one more time, look at the top of the screen, number 13, outside the numbers. Now watch number 22, the safety at the top of the screen. He is just going to bail. It's going to be that same cover six look that we went over before. Whenever the Giants came out in these three-by-one sets and they had Hyatt as the backside, it seemed like the Cardinals responded with cover six and they were cloud covering Jalen Hyatt, respecting that speed. Basically saying, if you want to throw short, we have our guys short and we're not going to allow that. If you want to throw deep, we're going to aggressively flow a safety over the top to cut that angle off. And when you allocate two resources to that side of the field, it's going to open up other things, especially if you have that middle of the field safety driving down on Paris Campbell. That was a point from Jonathan Gannon. I mean, we can go back and watch how the Giants play the Eagles. It wasn't great last season, but the Giants run a lot of in-breaking routes. And it just seemed like those safeties were so aggressive to come down, and that set up a lot of these big plays. And you can see it again here, created that one-on-one opportunity for Darius Slayton. And I agree. It was a really good catch. Didn't get his feet in bounds, which sucks. But, um, you know, it is what it is. And I want to drive the point home because it's worth driving home. Like we didn't see that a lot last year. What you just saw here, a safety bell this far deep to on to, to get over this Jalen Hyatt route. Like that just didn't happen a lot on tape throughout the entire year. Even when the offense got good, even those games against the Packers and, and Vikings where they really torched those secondaries. It wasn't the example. It w- what didn't look like this, right? Like it was mostly breakdowns in their secondary and good job by the giants to scheme against it. But here we saw exactly what you just said. We've been, how long have we Nick and the fans been calling for 
Make them pay. Take shots. If they're going to play so aggressively with their safety, take shots. The Giants did that. They connected on one early in the second half, and then it changed the entire way these safeties played the Giants throughout the second half. So great observation by you there, Nick. Okay, Nick, and I got one more, and then we'll break down the offensive line, and we'll get out of here. And we will start to do, by the way, because they were fun to do last year. <laughs> by the way, I did say we I would at one point total up how many people won awards. I never did that last year, which sucks. That's on me. Uh, <laughs> we'll start in week three, and I'll put it in a word doc so I won't forget it. And we're going to have all the same awards we had last year on how did player of the game, you know, MVP of the game, those types of awards, and we'll total them up this time. But I want to throw I say we one more it. I say we backtrack it. We include week one and week two, and we can come up with something. We'll do that in week three. Yes. Yeah, yeah. We're not prepared like right now for this, and I don't want to do it on the spot. I want to think about it more. But here, I want to throw one more play up here. Um, this is Jalen Hyatt's 33-yard reception. This is the reason I want to show this play, and you could break down the play, too, if you'd like to after this, Nick, but I just love Motion to stack Here's again. Hyatt. What'd you say? Motion to stack again. It's that same Motion package. 12, 12 personnel. We're going to get Slayton behind, moving Jalen Hyatt. And then they're going to snap the football and you have two really speedy receivers overloading one side of the football field. Yep. And look at how many defenders are over there paying attention. And I will say this, Nick, by the way, that what you just said, motion to stack. I love how I pointed out in week one, how cool it was, how Mike McDaniel was yeah. using Tyree killer motion. And I was like, I get, I guarantee you teams are going to start to copy this. I love that the giants are now one of those teams that start to copy these things. Like in the past, I can't tell you how many times I used to say that about Jason Garrett. I hope he copies this. I hope he steals this from the team. It seems like it's a good idea. It's working. And he just simply didn't. Jason Garrett just didn't incorporate a lot of what was working in the NFL. The NFL is a copycat league. When things work and people put it on tape, you copy it, you take it, you use it until defenses can stop it. And in this case, it almost feels like a cheat code in my mind. I feel like Michael Daniels figured something out here. Um, so great point by you. I want to point that out for sure. And I'm happy they've copied that already, but I just want to talk about this play for one reason. And one reason alone, it's Jalen Hyatt. Watch him here. I, I have it paused now when he's close to the top of the top of the stem. Look at how he, I want to back it up a little bit. Watch how fast he dips those hips, makes that commitment with that foot where he plants that right foot to sell like he's going vertical. And then just seems like he gets faster as he gets out of that to the next point of where he's ends ultimately ends up where he catches the football high points. It makes a great play on the ball, but I just love how fast he can move in and out. Boom. Just that acceleration he has after he plants. It's so natural. It's so fluid. It's so athletic. It's so different level than anything the giants have. Yeah, Dan, it's, just entirely too smooth. doesn't even look like he's exerting himself that much. And he's just flying, running really fast, over 20 miles per hour. It's beautiful. And a great ball from Daniel Jones here. Again, decisive, rips this thing out there on a line, pretty deep throw, outside the numbers, which all things you like to see. And I got to say this, I feel like it was a pretty solid speed turn here by the defensive back, but that's the difference there. His ability, like he erases a good play, in my opinion, by the defensive back. And there, he can create enough space just with that smooth acceleration that he has when he dips and then gets back into it. It's just awesome to watch, man. Like just, they just haven't had someone like this at receiver, in my opinion, really since Odell Beckham Jr. So that was the last one I wanted to go over. Let's do a little breakdown of the offensive line before we wrap things up here, Nick. Um, so let's start with just general thoughts and overview from the offensive line from you, uh, both in a pass blocking sense and a run blocking sense. In coaching, there's a term you got to anchor down or eat that 700 pound block or avoid that 700 pound block, meaning a combo block. Well, 
Evan Neal and Marcus McKethan, that's legit, like literally a 700-pound block, and they were moving bodies in the run game. And this is the only positive thing Dan or I will probably say about Evan Neal, unfortunately, but their combo blocks, when you have that right side of the line of scrimmage, they were really effective. And I'm trying to weigh, is it because they're playing against Jonathan Ledbetter and backups to LJ Collier, who didn't even play in this game? perhaps, but you saw the pop, you saw the push at the point of attack. I really appreciated what I saw from both the UNC sophomores, Marcus McKethan and Joshua Zudu. I'll say one thing about a Zudu, very impressive, all things considered. He he's His feet are a little weird to me. Like they're, it, It's not overly smooth. And this was uh, something I said when he was at UNC, when I saw his tackle reps, but he's still covering the space he needs to cover. I felt like a Zudu overall as a run blocker, left some to be desired pass protection was pretty impressed. Like I said, all things considered can't really knock it too much. Marcus McKethan, uh, tight hands, man, fires those hands in there, latches on you, pulls you tight. Really like what I'm seeing from him. JMS solid game on the ground a little bit too much. Evan Neal was on the ground a lot. Ben Bredesen had, I would say several really impressive reps until he ended up yeah. leaving the game. And then Glowinski came in. But the thing I love most about JMS that I want to talk about is the cerebral part. And this is probably a coaching point by Bobby Johnson because I saw Mark Lewinsky do the same thing. He does that turnaround technique when you're on a play action and the entire line is shifting, you're kind of moving the pocket. If there is no defender to your A gap and both the defenders near you are occupied by your guards, you spin around and you locate. And JMS right. did that. And he, and he went to go help Evan Neal, who fell on his ass on the, on the pass block. And JMS didn't locate the the player, but he might have slowed him down just enough to allow Daniel Jones to get rid of the football. That's to be determined. Glowinski actually did a really smooth job doing that same exact yeah. technique and locating the uh, defender who, I don't know if he beat Evan Neal on that or Evan Neal was schemed 2v1. Either way, I love to see the interior guys not be wasted because we applaud Wink Martindale. I'm sure we won't tomorrow too much, but we applaud Wink Martindale overall for his ability to waste inside blockers. The Giants are allocating those blockers to the outside to help out those tackles when the front is allowing it. Yeah, I thought it was a great observation by you, Nick, just to start there. Uh, the Glowinski rep is the one that stood out. I thought he did a great job of what you just described. I think my takeaways on the offensive line, I'll start with the overall 30,000-foot view, and I know everybody loves how often I say 30,000-foot view, or maybe that's just Hazer <laughs> who told me. It's one of my favorite things. I, I like looking at things from the bigger perspective. Um, this was a great game for the offensive line when you just think of it, all things considered. Josh Azudu, like, they just started him at left tackle. You know how crazy that is? This is a guy they they trained at guard. Yeah, they gave him reps at left tackle, but these are, like, training camp reps where you can't even really hit. The, the pass rushers aren't even supposed to go to the quarterback. They're not allowed to touch the quarterback. Like, these are all intents and purposes, in my mind, fake-ass reps, to be completely honest. I find training camp very overblown and very fake to be completely honest with the situation. Like it's just nothing like a real game and he's forced to just get and go ahead. It's a developmental thing. You, you work out. Kinks. Yeah. yeah. You work out kinks. You try to learn the plays, try to get the cadence down. You like need to get the timing down and all that for sure. But as far as what goes down in the trenches in training camp, I find it very uninspiring as far as predictive goes, because you're just not really allowed to rush the passer. And then he just goes into a real game, a regular season game and said, okay, you're playing left tackle now. And for the most part, he held up. Even the times he got beat, I thought he did a good job of re-anchoring down, staying in front of the defender. There were times I thought Jones might have broke the pocket even a little too soon. Because, And that's not his fault. He doesn't maybe trust Azudu yet like he trusts Thomas to really have his have his back. But 
Zudu looked like he got beat and then sometimes recovered in really good ways. I thought overall he had a really good game at left tackle in pass protection. I think you noticed, you said it best. There is a noticeable drop-off in the run blocking game from him to Andrew Thomas. And that's not even really Andrew Thomas's calling card as far as I'm concerned as run blocker. He's a very solid and fundamental and, tech, and technical run blocker, Andrew Thomas, but I don't find him to be like a dominant run blocker by any means. But there was a noticeable drop-off there. McKethan, the thing that I really liked about him, dude, is he finished his plays. Like he has that mean trick. I put one up on Twitter where he just finished the play all the way through the whistle, got his hands inside and just drove the guy back after displacing him from the hole. Yeah. Just thought that was awesome to see. And then in pass protection, look, it, I don't think it was perfect by any means, but it was certainly better than what we saw from Gowinski, like night and day in some of the most basic ways. Like we talked about some of the things that bothered Glowinski and Neil last week, but some of it was like just simple sh- crap that Lewinsky should have not got beat on that. Marcus McCathan didn't get beat on. I thought you made a good point about uh, JMS being on the ground a little more than we might want to see. But overall, there were some good moments from him too, not just in pass direction. There was a couple of run blocks where I thought he did a good job of yeah. climbing to the second level and sealing off the defender. And that's a carryover from last week where he had some good reps doing that as well against the Cowboys. Moving on to left guard. Uh, I don't know if you wanted to jump in there. It looked like you might. I want to say something. one thing about John Michael Schmitz. We've watched John Jalapio. We've watched Nick Gates. We've watched several centers, John Feliciano last year. John Michael Schmitz moves different than every single one of them. And I'm not saying he's Jalen Hyatt out there or anything, but you can just (laughs) see how he transitions off of blocks, how he picks up twists and things of that nature. And when he is at the second level, he just has a different motor to him. He has a different... Uh, a better ability, in my opinion, to locate when he is in space. And he didn't even do an excellent job at that in this game, but you can just still see how fast he is and quick foot he quick footed he is for a guy who is around 300 pounds. So I wanted to bring that up, man. Yeah, it was a great point by you. He does move different. He looks a little different there than what we've seen. And we expect that. He was a high draft pick, the Giants' biggest investment at the center position. We're expecting him to be kind of different athlete than what they've had there. Um, and then just moving back to it, left guard, it, that's the one I'm a little disappointed in Nick, because I felt like if we had gotten a full game out of Ben Bredesen, we would have been like, dude, Ben Bredesen had some really good tape. And that doesn't surprise me all that much because he had some good ass tape last year before he got hurt. The injury derailed him. Then obviously there was the Cowboys game. We only had a one game sample size against a great pass rush. And so everyone's like, all right, whatever, nothing great there. But he was turning the corner. I felt like in this Arizona game before the concussion, hopefully it's a, you know, it's not a lengthy absence of the concussion. Obviously we don't want Glowinski out there though. It will be interesting to see what happens with the entire O line. If, if Andrew Thomas is able to play and something like Bredesen is not, and then do they shift a Zudu to left guard and keep McKethan at right guard and then put Thomas back at left tackle. Like I'm intrigued by everything they're going to do from that regard. But it was a little disappointing. I don't think Lewinsky was that bad, surprisingly, at left guard um, after being forced to come into the game. But I feel like Bredesen was trending toward having really good tape before the injury. Just have him come off the bench. That's all I ask about Mark Lewinsky because I think that experiment's over. Marcus McKethan has to be starting. He's going to have his work cut out for him against San Francisco. Absolutely. It's going to be tough. It's not the Arizona Cardinals. But look at the bigger picture. As you say, the 30,000-foot view, Dan. You have a rookie center. You have a second-year guy coming off a torn ACL starting at right guard. You have Josh Azudu kicking out to left tackle. You have Ben Bredesen go down during the game. And you have freaking Evan Neal, who should be your rock out of all of those guys, probably executing his assignments at the worst rate of all of them. Not a great situation, and the Giants still held firm against, I get it, a team that doesn't have Nick Bosa and shit like that. But, hey, man, I'm, I'm proud of that unit. I am. I, I think they really bounced back after a, a rough one, and they're going to have a rough one ahead of them, too. For sure, Nick. And last but not least, because we didn't really touch on it enough and we have to, it's the biggest one, really. Evan Neal in this game. So 
I'll give my overall opinion of it, and then you could give it yours, Nick. I just, and this is something I didn't get to actually in the thirty thousand foot view that I want to get to real quick. The Giants helped their offensive line more in this game, especially in the second half than I've seen in a long time. The Giants have been a little bit hesitant in my mind to use tight ends and use their, you know, all of their weapons to kind of help block and help chip and help in pass pro before this game. And I think they finally got to a breaking point with Neil where they're like, we need to give him help. This is really our only option. And I, man, I don't know what it is with Neil Nick, but he just doesn't look good out there at all in pass protection. I agree. He looked really good on some of those double teams with Marcus McKethan moving forward. He still is a good athlete and a good blocker and a powerful player, but he just looks so, he looks off balance. He lunges. He looks very top heavy. All things we said could be an issue if like bottom percentile hit, right? Like this is the range of outcome we thought would be the worst case scenario. And unfortunately it seems like it's being out, but like, you didn't expect it to hit worst games, you know, worst case scenario in the range of outcomes, but also just like, I don't know how fixable any of this stuff is, dude. He just looks bad out there from an athletic standpoint and from just an, a pure movement skill standpoint out there. And I'm very, very concerned with Neil right now at right tackle. I don't know what the solution might be other than give him help like they did in that game. And then there were even times, dude, where you saw some reps where they gave him help and he still found a way to almost lose the rep and like still found a way to be completely off balance despite getting help and getting a chip to start. Like there were a couple reps where he lost, where they had help to start. And I was just like, damn, dude, like what is going on? Josh Azuda is out there on an island in his first start ever at left tackle. And they have to give you help on the other side. And you're still losing these reps. And you're the seventh overall pick. Josh Azuda is the guard that they drafted and they had some experience at left tackle. So they said, F it. We don't trust Matt Baird. He's hurt anyway. Let's put you out there. And like that just shouldn't be happening at this point. Um, It's very concerning on the Neil front. I don't know where they'll go from here. I don't know how he fixes this stuff. It looks almost identical to last season. I don't know if it's technique issue in your mind or if it's an athleticism issue, but sometimes we've talked about this in the past with players like Clyde Edwards, Alaire and other positions, the athleticism doesn't translate always from college, to the NFL, even if you play in the sec, it's a different level. The worst, the best players on an sec roster are not playing in the NFL most of the time or special teamers. So, you know, just something to keep in mind. I wrote about this at big blue view and I could be way off because we applauded Evan Neal for the split squat jumps for him looking yeah. as lean as he did, but he didn't test at the combine. He didn't test at the pro day. And we just said, yeah, whatever. He's an incredible athlete. And he is functional athlete though. I'm right. not, a, I'm just not sold on it because I, I don't see it, dude. Like you're not on the ground that much as a football player that often against Dennis Gardeck and against players like that. And this was a much better game than the Dallas game. Absolutely. But this was one of the first times. This is the first time, I believe, we got to see Evan Neal compared to another tackle not named Andrew Thomas when we were watching the film. Which player looked significantly smoother than the other one? Josh Azudu. It certainly wasn't Evan Neal. It wasn't Evan Neal. And Josh Azudu looked quicker. He framed his blocks better. He's not, he doesn't have as much pop on contact as Evan Neal, but Evan Neal right. doesn't make that much accurate contact. And it, it, it is a concern for yes. me. It is, man. And I don't want to sit here and say he's not a great athlete because I'd look stupid because of some of the stuff that he has put on film before in terms of the split squat jumps and all that silly shit. But functionality, it's not necessarily translating to the field as much as we would all expect. And I think you nailed it, Dan, when you, I love the fact that you said this. This is the what one percentile outcome from what we, 
thought we would receive. It's like Absolutely. worst case yeah. scenario, he is going to be worst, and it's still early, so let's preface that. But worst case scenario is he's this. He's somebody who never develops at all, regresses in terms of striking and hand usage, while also seeing himself on the ground as much as we did in college. Because that was one concern that we brought up. I went through my scouting report on uh, on Giants country because people on Twitter were talking about it. And I was like, shit, like a lot of the, the points that I had, and I'm not applauding myself or anything, but a lot of the points I had, they're manifesting now and they have not been rectified whatsoever. And it's just, it's, it's terrible look because if this ends up busting and the Giants miss on a top 10 pick at tackle after Eric flowers, yeah, yeah. devastating. Bro. It is devastating if it happens that way. And it's too early to call him a bust for sure. In my opinion, obviously I, I know you agree with that. I will say this though. Functional athleticism is what I'm seeking. Nick, I'm not seeking the like, tested athleticism. I want functional athleticism. So if he's lacking in that regard, that to me matters all the more like then, then, you know, it, like Daniel Jones ran what, like a force eight. And then he reached like 22 miles per hour in an actual NFL game. And he's functionally athletic. We saw in that play yet on the third and 12, that was an example of functional athleticism. And he's showed it throughout his career. Neil, on the other hand, it just seems like it's the opposite. Um, you mentioned it best on the ground too often. I just think at this point, Nick, it's like almost, it's almost like, what was it? Four, eight, six, four, eight, one, four, eight, one, which is insane. Like he's not that slow. He's and Daniel Jones is nowhere near as slow as a four, eight, one on the actual field. He got 22 miles per hour. Like it's crazy to think about that. He could test that. That happens. Sometimes people test out poorly occasionally, or they test out great. And they're not actually good athletes on the football field, but they're great in the shorts and the shells. And so I don't know if Evan Neal is any of that. I just know this, man. It feels like right now it's all in his head. That's the way I'm looking at this, Nick. Like he needs to just figure out a way to feel confident in himself again. And and maybe he reads about the stuff that he sees on Twitter and social media from Giants fans and analysts who are bashing him, not bashing him, who are critiquing him, rightfully so. And that gets in his head too. And that's just part of the game. Like you're going to have that happen, good or bad. People are going to talk about you one way or another. But he needs to find a way to get out of his head. He needs to find a way to be confident in who he is because he still is the guy, Nick, who had better film than Josh Azudu, had better film than Marcus McKethan, had better film than everyone on this roster besides Andrew Thomas at the collegiate level, playing for the biggest SEC school in the world and putting good reps on film. Yeah, he was on the ground sometimes. Also had amazing reps that we saw that gave us reason to think he's the uh, blue chip prospect that gave the giants reason to think he was the best tackle in the class that gave a lot of analysts read like a lot of analysts i read said he was the best tackle in this class um these are people i respect who watch the film and saw what he did on film and so i just think at some point it's a confidence issue for evan neal and how long does it become a confidence issue right and who do you blame at that point evan neal was an alpha of all alphas this is somebody who went to img academy which is one of the best high schools in the country, Bradenton, Florida, went to Alabama, just dominated. And now he's in the NFL. It's top level. But why are you not continuously improving? Like what, what is standing in your way at this point? If it is confidence, I don't know, man, there's, there's a lot to suss out and figure out. It is still early. Got to make that clear. doesn't look promising at the moment though. I'm going to close this show out with a dumb football fan theory that I have or that Love my it. friend. And I say dumb in the sense of like, I don't know if it's dumb, but it is, potentially dumb and it is basic and i want to see what your thoughts are on it so it's something okay. i've actually thought about when he brought it up in the group chat today shout out kevin appenzoller i don't know if you're listening oh. to this pod you listen to a lot of our pods and you know him uh nick from a couple of the fantasy leagues but he is a big listener of our pod i'm not sure he's gonna listen to the i don't know if he does the the ex uh the film ones but he does all the others um 
He brought up, and I've thought this too my whole life kind of watching football, regarding Marcus McKethan and, and the game he put together, the film he put out there. We we're pretty excited about it. We both kind of feel, this is again, basic football brain theory, that for some reason, the massive guards look better. When you put a massive human being at guard, it somehow just seems to work out better than these undersized guards. And somehow it just seems to work out. Throughout my whole life watching football, I felt like when you put these like six foot six, 350 pound mammoths <laughs> on the interior and the, the guard position, it seems to be like a higher floor overall. Maybe the ceiling isn't quite there. They're not moving as well. If you're going to run power and gap, all those types of things. But the floor for these guys, especially in pass protection, feels so much higher. So one, it leads me to ask you one, Nick, is this theory interesting to you at all? Or is it stupid? <laughs> Two, and, and by the way, Kevin won't be offended if you call it stupid. Neither will I know. Two. Is this part, if the answer to that is yes, there is something behind having these massive humans at guard and, and it gives you that floor as an offensive line. Does it lead you to believe? And he even mentioned, I thought was an interesting example, like think of Eric Flowers, horrific at tackle. Then they moved him to guard and he was actually half decent for a few seasons at guard. And all the problems yeah. he had at tackle seemed to be masked on the interior. And a lot of the issues Neil has, I kind of, and this goes to my second part of the question, a lot of the issues that Neil has right now, Evan Neil, I kind of feel might not be as obvious and glaring if he's on the inside at guard as that massive six foot seven, 350 pound guard. Hey, what are your thoughts on the theory? <laughs> B, if you kind of see something in the theory, does it lead you to believe maybe worst case scenario, the Giants can move Neil to guard? I do agree with worst case scenario. I don't believe we're there yet. You have to keep no. rolling Evan Neal out there at right tackle. You spend a top 10 pick on him. You have to trust that you're going to coach him up and figure it out. With that being said, in terms of, <laughs> in terms of just having massive guys at guards, I'm not going to call it stupid, but it's a trade-off. When you have a massive guy at guard, it's more space that you have to cover as a defender to run around. He's going to be occupying more space. You're more than likely going to have a better anchor. But how creative can you get in terms of diversifying your right. rushing attack? Because Mark Lewinsky, the Giants like Mark Lewinsky. They like him because he's very athletic and he can scoot and he can get out on the move. It's one of the reasons why they drafted Josh Azudu as well. I would argue Marcus McKethan kind of goes to the, hey, he's massive, but for a guy of his size, he can move too. There are other guards that have gone through programs like Alabama, like Deontay Brown and players like that who were like 6'5", 340 pounds, but just couldn't move. So you're just basically going to be running what duo the entire time when you do run power gap and try to pull them. It's going to be really slow. And if you have a fast linebacker who's reading his keys, he's going to beat you to the set point and blow the play up. So it's a trade-off type of thing. But if you can find big ass dudes who can scoot Marcus McKethan, that's a pretty good situation to find yourself. And there's been plenty of guards who are like that, but there are also really a lot of guards who are very fast. But my thing is right now, what's the biggest issue with the giants offensive line? other than Evan Neal, it would be Marcus or not Marcus, uh, Mark Lewinsky's inability to protect either side of his shoulder in pass protection. Right. That's not necessarily happening as much. If you have a DJ Fluker out there, or if you had Mark, right. Kept it out, because they're so damn strong and big. So it helps rectify that problem, but it may take away other things that you want to do as an offense. And if you start rotating them, you're starting to tip your cap on what plays you're running. Oh yeah. You can't do that. You're right. You can't go into rotation mode there, but you your answer did kind of lead me to some credence in the theory, or at least some thoughts on the theory. Like, okay, I may be willing to trade off some diversity in my run game to get a pass protection. That's a little bit sure. And that has a little bit of a high, or maybe a lot bit of a higher floor to the extent yeah. of what Marcus Winsky showed in pass pro versus Marcus McCaffrey, because I'm really concerned with passing the football. I, I am concerned with running it and establishing some kind of, you know, 
foundation to the point where it, you're not a one-dimensional team and the defense can't just guess pass every play. But at the same time, like I'm not willing to trade that off for a guy who can't even pass protect like we saw in week one, Mark Lewinsky, versus a guy like McKethan who looked pretty solid there. And not in my mind because he was like some master technician in that game or anything. Just kind of no. in a lot of ways because he was six foot whatever he is and 350 pounds and he was hard to beat and he was hard to bull rush. A lot of the ways the Giants lose too up front, and we'll get out of here soon, but a lot of the ways they lose up front is so damn immediate. When you have someone as right. big as McCathan who can move a little bit, it's not going to be as immediate. You might have to get to that second move. With Mark Lewinsky, right. I'm not trying to throw the guy under the bus, but it was just, no. I'm going to run through your inside shoulder, and it's just boom, and he's gone. If my, JMS is occupied by a one technique, and there's no help, Daniel Jones is already running, and the play's blown up, and hopefully Daniel Jones' athletic ability will rise, and the Giants can pick up like six or seven yards. But with Marcus McCathan there, that's not happening. He's at least big enough to be like, oh, well, I can't just run right through the fucking guy. Right. So, yeah, there's a little bit to that. And in it's terms of Evan Neal, yeah, but again, yeah, trade-off. It's all about trade-offs. Also, the mental side of things, that we haven't really touched on that as much. It's not playing center, but still you got to know where what you're doing. I'm imagining McKethan is up to speed on that. He's still a professional athlete who has played college football in the ACC at a high level. And if we're going to be honest, Marcus – Mark Lewinsky, I'm not knocking his mental processing, but when you talk about twists, the right side of the line was freaking horrendous at picking up twists all throughout Mark Lewinsky's basically tenure with Evan Neal. So that that combination had to change. And I think the Giants made the right decision. I think Dable alluded to, or at least I saw someone tweet this, there could be more changes. I'm imagining that's going to be on the defensive side of the football. And we'll cover a lot of that tomorrow. Because the defense, yeah, for sure, like, but... <laughs> defense is not good, bro. I have to get to the defense side of the ball. It's not going to be pretty, um, but I, I hope people stayed for the end of the show. I know some people do the X. Maybe maybe we'll read this off until later this week on Thursday or Friday. We'll do like a little segment on this uh, on this offensive line theory because I did think it sparked an interesting discussion overall on the offensive line and specifically those two guys. And I do think if you did move Neil to guard, like let's say worst case scenario, just something weird happened, you had to move him to guard for a game this year for a few snaps, he would look a lot less bad at guard. I do think that over, over the course of his season, because a lot of the ways he's losing are because he's on that Island and then they try to give him help. And, and it's just things that he wouldn't have to worry about at guard on the interior. Um, so just something to think you about a lot of space when you're a guard, you have a center, right. your left or your right. And you have a tackle on the other side of you. Right. You can just shove the guy into him. Like you don't have to worry about the fact of getting burnt by a speed rusher. Who was a line, like six yards down the line of scrimmage, yeah. who has a great angle, who's a better athlete than you. And you're moving backwards. It sucks to be an offensive tackle. It's a difficult job. Tough job. Guards a lot easier. But <laughs> at the same time, I do wonder sometimes about these bigger guards. And I've noticed it throughout my life watching the game. But I'm glad you 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 provided me some insight on that one, Nick. But uh <laughs> that's all the time we have for today. I know we said we try to keep it tight. It was hard to do. We did our best, but we put up a lot of film. We had a good discussion on the O-line. So I hope you guys enjoyed this one. Have a great rest of your week. We'll be talking to you tomorrow again with the defensive film breakdown. We will try to find some positives in that, and we'll probably lean on those last four possessions where the Cardinals only had 48 yards combined on four possessions. But a little preview of what's to come. Have a great rest of your night or day, depending on when you listen to this, and we'll talk to you soon. <laughs>